Hey, Real Talkers, Dr. Leslin Lewis can't be serious, right? Well, maybe she is. The high-profile conservative MP is backing a petition calling for Canada to walk away from the United Nations. Now, her critics, like Liberal MP Rob Oliphant, are calling on opposition leader Pierre Polyev to speak out against this endorsement from Dr. Lewis, wondering aloud if conservative foreign policy would be to abandon international obligations on human rights, women's rights, children, and more. But when it comes down to it, does Canada need the U.N.? Does the UN need Canada? We get into it with Charles Adler. This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. Thanks for joining us. This episode of Real Talk, Charles Adler, Emmy Award winner coming up in just a second. We're actually going to talk about the the, the period of his broadcast career, uh, maybe this on uh, the heels of the Golden Globes, the, the period of Charles Adler's broadcast career when he was awarded that Emmy. It was uh, in particular, at least he thinks, and I think he's going to tell us today, a, a speech that he delivered on the air, talking about a speech that was never given, as a matter of fact, the speech that Mitt Romney never gave. And in a roundabout way over the weekend, if you're like me, if January 6th, the date jumped off your calendar, the name Mitt Romney factors into this. Had Mitt Romney delivered a speech, argues Adler, and he will again in a moment, potentially, perhaps, Donald Trump never would have become president. I'll let Charles make the argument. Plus, we're going to be talking about a story that's making national news across the country, Edmonton's encampments being cleared by police, but there's been a development. Uh, They're going about it differently. This as a court challenge underway. Uh, There are engaged citizens that say that the optics of this are terrible, that the timing even worse as temperatures are plummeting, a body discovered in one of those encampments over the weekend. Of course, we know that the situation is unsustainable, but what's the right way to go about it? And as it's the first Monday of the month, we'll check in with the CEO, the president of the Alberta Chambers of Commerce, Shauna Feth, has her eye on Alberta business. You may have noticed that Alberta's premier has been musing about changing the rules to the way that liquor retailers operate in the province of Alberta. Should convenience store operators be permitted to sell booze? Of course, this is sending shockwaves through the industry itself, changing the game, which, of course, for a lot of people is a non-starter. They've invested in liquor stores, as an example, near convenience stores, as an example, because convenience stores couldn't sell liquor. Is this a way to get things even more convenient for consumers in the province of Alberta, which I think you could make a compelling argument already has the best liquor retail regulation in the country, the most options for consumers, the most options for entrepreneurs and investors, or is this just a bad idea? Plus, we're going to take a look as January 18th approaches. That's the deadline for the repayment of those SIBA loans. You remember those businesses that took out the $40,000 during the pandemic, maybe topped it up with $20,000 more? Maybe you're one of those folks right now that's wondering how on earth you're going to pay that back on time. The Alberta Chambers is looking into it. They've been talking to their members, and Shauna's going to deliver that full report. Plus, positive reflections presented by our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy Cat Lovers. Animal lovers are not going to want to miss this edition. That's going to wrap up today's episode. Uh, the episode is happening with the support of our presenting sponsor this morning. That's our friends at Rello, who are putting out a pretty clear message uh, to those of you that are uh, at this time of year looking to basically shake things up on the employment front. You want to be your own boss. You want to run a thriving business, and you're ready to leave Cuba life behind for good. If unlimited earning potential sounds like a pretty good opportunity to you, a career in real estate could be your perfect match. Your best move to get started is to enroll today with Rello. That's R-E-L-O. You'll find them online at Rello.ca. It's Alberta's top real estate school. They're going to help you study for your exam, get your license, and then the support continues Plus, you can study 100% online, which means it's guaranteed to fit with your schedule. A great offer in this new year uh, from our friends at Rello. 20% off for Real Talkers. Any course, knock 20% off with the promo code REALTALK. That's all one word, the promo code REALTALK, when you get started today at Rello.ca. 
Did you watch the Globes last night? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It did yeah. from start to finish. It did, actually, yeah. Wow. Yeah, for the for the most part, uh, not not uh, not totally uh, stonewalled, but sure. Barbie kind of frozen out. Yeah, uh, didn't win as much as you thought it might. Yeah. Oppenheimer won a little bit. I'm realizing that I have to watch the Bear. Oh, it was great. I the watched series it. about a chef. Yeah, I watched the Bear. I watched Oppenheimer. I watched uh, the Blackberry movie. I did all of it over the weekend. What'd you think? Of, or sorry, over the Christmas holiday. What'd you think of the host, Joe Coy? Uh, had no idea who he was, yeah, and uh, thought he did all right for somebody who nobody knew who he was. Is Hard to a, follow. Is that a fair in assessment. Gervais' uh, yeah. footsteps. I eh? thought yeah. it was weird that Ricky Gervais has such a such a storied history hosting the Globes, and then uh, spoiler alert, everyone, spoiler alert. Uh, but the first ever Golden Globe awarded for a stand up performance last night goes to Ricky Gervais, who is yeah. unable to attend. That's a weird look. <laughs> yeah. like, what did you have that was more important? I mean, I don't, maybe there was some family thing yeah. or whatever, but I just thought that was weird. Yeah, I thought I thought Joe Coy did good but yeah a lot, lot of lot of stuff on uh x today about him flopping on on a few jokes including the one about taylor swift and they panned to her and she wasn't impressed she and didn't then seem impressed apparently left early after that it's yeah. oh well whatever yeah it's, <laughs> it's also possible she didn't hear the joke and they sure. caught her at a weird time on camera but uh yeah and and one thing i know that this is time stamping this so a lot of people just skip through this if you don't want to listen to it <laughs> want to go straight to adler uh but um I, I thought it was interesting as well he kept throwing the writers under the bus he did like when a joke would flop he'd say i didn't write that one and i thought maybe that was that was kind of a good bit in a way but i also thought okay you're, you're yeah. making the same joke again and again and again you're going to get stabbed in the green room if you're not careful so you got the the Golden Globes, you got the Oscars, and you got the Emmys. Those are the big three, and uh, the first episode of every week, an Emmy Award winner joins us. He's a Canadian talk radio legend and a good friend of mine, Charles Adler, who's wearing a blazer today. What, you're about Ooh. to say something important, obviously. We got you on mute, Chuck. I want to be able to hear every single word you bring to the table. We'll get you figured out here right away. Uh, say hello, and I'll see if I can hear you again. Let's try it one more time. Uh, Charles Adler, Emmy Award winner, joining us the first Monday of every episode. And, of course, Johnny and him will get that sorted out, and we'll check in with Chuck. Uh, over the weekend, you may have seen Charles' uh, column in the Winnipeg Free Press. He writes it every single weekend. And, and this one, kind of an interesting one, as Adler starts getting into a, uh, what I, I'm sure he's going to talk to us is a conspiracy theory uh, from conservative MP and uh, former leadership candidate, Dr. Leslin Lewis, who wants Canada to leave the United Nations. She wants Canada to pull out of the United Nations, uh, saying essentially that it threatens Canadian sovereignty, that Canadians are beholden to the UN, that Canada can't make its own decisions because of its involvement with affiliation hello, hello, hello. with the United Nations. There, we got you there, Chuck. We can hear you now. Yeah. Conservatives yeah. and the crackpot wing reads the headline of your piece over the weekend in the free press. Uh, I mean, you have a little bit of fun with it. You're chuckling now, but is this something that Canadians need to care stuff. about? I mean, is this something that deserves five no, minutes just, of well, our time? I mean, here it is. I mean, uh, Pierre Polyev is, is leading in the polls. I ne never mind that some people say that, that polls this far out, the election is like, could be like a year and a half away. So poll, polls now mean nothing. Uh, everything reignites during a campaign. P putting that aside, uh, Pierre Polyev is clearly ahead of uh, Trudeau in many ways. So Pierre Polyev doesn't need uh, the crackpot wing putting out the crackpot, the old, old, ancient crackpot stuff about the United Nations, um, you know, Im impe impeding our sovereignty, preventing us from making decisions that we want to make. I mean, it's, it's, it's always a good fundraiser. You, you know, put this stuff out there. Uh, you enhance your mailing list. Uh, you know, people uh, send you money. And then, of course, they send you their, their name and address and credit card number. And, and you hound them for life for more money. I mean, these things are always a moneymaker. But the conservatives are overflowing with money. They're overflowing with, uh, with popular support. So I just I'd fi find it kind of odd that they're they're still doing this kind of thing and yeah i mean on the, the purely inside baseball level it, it makes me laugh so what, what what do you think is the motivation for leslie lewis to be doing this she's got a petition she's gathering thousands of signatures is this just a yeah. bit to get people's attention or you think that this yeah is it gets people's it gets people's attention and once again it, it it's really about it's really about raising money now does leslie lewis honestly believe that the united nations is instructing uh, the government on how to conduct policy. I mean, if she does, uh, she's got a problem. Uh, she's a really smart uh, human being. And, uh, you know, I wrote a little bit about this in, in a column uh, uh, years ago uh, when I was uh, doing conservative national talk radio based in Tampa Bay. I was just, it felt like inches away, but, you know, just a, a quick drive away from, from U.S. Central Command. And that's where the uh, many 
many of America's top military people uh, are uh, focused on screens of uh, what uh, U.S. fighting forces and special forces are doing around the world. Um, and um, if you're in that bunker and see what's happening there, uh, there's no doubt in your mind that the United States is exercising sovereignty not only in America, but around the world. They're, they're projecting power and their own sovereignty. They're the only superpower. Nobody comes close. They can talk about China till the cows come home. Uh, the United States runs the world, runs the planet. So the idea that the U.S. has taken its cues from the U.N. or that the U.N. is running the U.S., but nevertheless, all over, let's call it red state America, I was taking phone calls from people who had been listening to the same kind of stuff that Leslie Lewis is putting out. And I just sat there thinking, holy crow, uh, um, this is... This is, this is really fascinating to me that anybody in America would believe that the United Nations is telling uh, Washington how to do his business. Yeah, and, and we've also got to point out the obvious that talking about the United States versus Canada is two completely different conversations as well, right? I mean, I've, I've got it. Chris is in our live chat this morning. Uh, good morning to everybody joining us live on YouTube or the Mixler Audio app presented by California Closets. Chris says the, the United Nations, the World Economic Forum, the World Health Organization, and NATO, we need to get out of all of them, yeah. says Chris. Uh, wh why don't you rank what would be the worst idea to leave all the way down to the least worst idea. NATO's the worst idea to leave, correct? Yeah, NATO. <laughs> Terrible idea. We're not, we're, uh, not, we're not leaving NATO. Second I, off would be the World Health yeah. I mean, it's can't, the World Health Organization kind of is what it is, but, you know, provided resources through the pandemic, and it's a, it's well, a weird look. The, the, world, the World Health Organization, not, I'm not sitting here doing PR for the World Health Organization, which has made lots of mistakes, just like the UN does lots of stuff that is, is, is ridiculous. Everybody like makes mistakes. Uh, countries like Iran and others on the head of the Human Rights Committee. You know, so, so we, we know the, uh, the, the United Nations, uh, you know, does a lot to destroy its own reputation. But, you know, if you if you look into the history of the World Health Organization, um, they have wiped out a lot of bad stuff. You know, they have eliminated. Uh, not uh, the pandemic, not, not COVID. They obviously didn't eliminate COVID. But they have eliminated diseases in many parts of the world that most of us don't spend much time thinking about. I'm not going to sit here doing PR for them, but I just ask anyone to, to Google uh, WHO, uh, and and look at their track record. And for those people who are on the uh, you know progressive side of life uh, and believe that uh, far too much money is spent on arms and armaments and far too little money on peace, say whatever you want about the United Nations in terms of the percentage of money that the United Nations has spent on peace compared to the percentage of money that the world has spent on armaments, uh, what the UN has spent is a is a trickle. But uh, on, on the business of uh, you know, WEF and, 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 and NATO and, and the United Nations uh, running, uh, running Canada. Uh, it ain't so. And I can guarantee you that whether uh, it's uh, Pierre Polyev or, or Justin Trudeau, uh, no matter what Leslie Lewis may say today, Pierre, uh, Prime Minister Polyev is not going to pull out of NATO or the United Nations um, or the or well the WEF is a whole other. Yeah, I mean that's just that. WEF is something you participate in, but, but yeah, Harper, Harper went. You know. The liberals go whatever. I mean, go don't go. I don't think anybody actually cares. Yeah. Uh, David in the live chat says, but but hang on, like what is the point of the United Nations? I mean, we could get into the mandate and we could get into the history of it and why it started and when it started, which is probably most significant. But David said, didn't they all like vote for a ceasefire uh, in December and then and the Americans can just veto that? I mean, there's a lot to roll your yeah. eyes around when it comes to the United Nations. But is there is there a compelling, aside from maybe tough optics, Canada leaving the UN? I mean, the optics of it would be yeah, the, very that, 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 difficult. That's, but, that's the part that's, it's the, it's the only world table. And if we leave, if we want to be a serious country and we leave the world table, it does, the optics are horrible. It, it makes us look worse than bad. It makes us look amateur. And, uh, you know, but I know that a lot of people think that anyone who is um, an amateur, anyone who has uh, no experience, anyone who has no knowledge is more believable, uh, more authentic, uh, more credible uh, than, than someone who does have all of those other things. I, I get that there's a, a feeling in the land about that. Um, so if I, if I wanted to take the other side of this bet, okay, I could attack the UN all day long. I could attack their decisions. I could attack the, the money they spend. I could attack uh, corruption. I could attack. Uh, I could attack a lot of things, I, and I and I, I could do that. Um, but in the end, in the end, 
the United Nations is the only world table. We are part of the world. And so we've got to tolerate uh, a lot of nonsense. And uh, no, I don't think uh, I, I don't think it's a good idea to pull out. And there, there will be people, no doubt, who think, well, if Canada pulls out, then a whole lot of other countries will follow Canada. No, no, they won't. They won't follow us. Uh, they'll just think that uh, uh, Canada's undergoing a bit of a a bit of a flu. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like, to be honest with you, we've talked about it enough already. Uh, Canada's not leaving the United Nations. <laughs> Leslie Lewis accomplished what she was looking to accomplish. Everybody's talking about her petition. And uh, even, you know, she's not leaving. Pierre Polyev wouldn't leave. Um, and you look like you're getting set to make an impromptu product mention on our airwaves. What's what's up? You're well, holding water up. That, to that is that is smart water for those, of course, who aren't watching. They're They're listening. Somebody needs to drink some smart water. <laughs> smart water, drive a smart car, do whatever. But you, we evaluate politicians differently, and uh, and, and it works for them. Like Because it, it's working for her because we're talking about it. Even Leslin Lewis doesn't think that it's a serious idea for Canada to leave the United Nations. There's not a chance. And if she actually did think that that was a good idea, then we'd have some more serious and pointed questions. But this is just something to get people all riled up. It's, the, it's this petition that... It's been making the rounds. There's like hundreds of thousands of signatures oh, sure. on it for yeah. for Justin Trudeau to to run. Just, you know, Trudeau must go. And there's a guy that keeps hammering up these homemade plywood signs at a major intersection right near our house. And and like God bless him, he's he's engaged and involved. And this is this guy's form of political expression. And so I I, I don't mean to mock the guy. Uh, I mean he he's out there in earnest. He's spending a ton on lumber. Like these signs are very well constructed. <laughs> They're not blowing over. I'll tell you that much. She's got them all well constructed. The Trudeau must go. It says sign the petition. This is not a serious petition. This is not, the prime minister is not going to see that three hundred thousand people signed it and just pack his shit. That's not how it goes. So <laughs> petitions sometimes work to get people's attention, but petitions spearheaded by politicians uh, should point out to people should should prompt people to remember that this is all just one big publicity stunt. Hey, Saturday uh, marked the anniversary seems like a weird word to use, but January 6th, it's one of those days that will jump off the calendar for, for the rest of uh, world history, I'm sure, as long as people pay attention to what happened at the U.S. Capitol. Where, what were you thinking about on Saturday, this Saturday, January 6th? Uh, hard to believe back in 2021 what actually happened there. Well, I was thinking that uh, I, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that this actually happened in the United States of America. I couldn't believe that uh, the United States uh, didn't have uh, the resources uh, to stop uh, relatively, uh, out of all of the people there, a relatively small handful of them uh, were, were brutes and thugs. I'm not saying that most of them were tourists, but most of them were, were, were you know, not intent on, you know, smashing heads and hanging a vice president. Uh, so it just, you know, it'll always blow me away just to, uh, from an operational perspective. How um, uh, American security uh, couldn't uh, couldn't defend uh, the Capitol, so that that jumped out at me. And of course, uh, of course, it's a, an attack on, on on democracy. But you know, Mitt Romney has it right. And I, I've got to sorry, I've got to spray politics uh, uh, here. I can't I can't just do an MSNBC and just um, feign outrage all day long. That's that's not my not my mandate on this program or any program. And uh, Mitt Romney, who's uh, someone who I knew very well many, many years ago, and we can talk about why I knew him. But uh, Mitt Romney, who is hardly a, a Trumpist, uh, Mitt Romney is one of the few people who uh, voted uh, to have Donald Trump put on trial in the Senate and, and thrown out. Uh, Mitt Romney is an independent guy in, in many, many ways and a very, very smart guy, a very smart political guy. And uh, Mitt Romney uh, said that uh, repeating the January 6th business over and over again, if, if that's what Joe Biden wants to focus on, uh, he will lose to Donald Trump. Uh, he said that Joe Biden needs new material because as far as uh, many Americans are concerned, January 6th is by the time we have the election in November is a four year old story. You want to focus on yesterday's news. You want to focus on four year old news. Good luck with that. Talk to us about we opened the show mentioning this because you and I chatted briefly over the weekend. I know you're open to telling the story. You got a call from Mitt's dad, George, obviously a, a long career and a story career of his own. Yeah. Uh, this was years ago. To, this this was a call. Uh, you're doing radio stateside. Uh, these are, you know, basically, the you know, some of your, your prime time years down working in the States and you get a call on the air from George Romney. Take us back to that. 
So this was the monologue on the TV show, but it was simulcast with uh, with radio. So I was on both uh, TV and radio, eight o'clock, uh, you know, prime time uh, in television land. And uh, I would lead each show with uh, something called "The World According to Chuck." That was my my monologue, and uh, most of it was unscripted because I I don't like to to work scripted. And I don't know whether I went 20 minutes, 22 minutes, 28 minutes. I mean, it wasn't as long as Fidel Castro, but it was a, it was a long monologue. And uh, Mitt Romney was running that year against Ted Kennedy for the United States Senate. Now, nobody, nobody believed that Ted Kennedy was going to lose a Senate re-election. It wasn't going to happen. But Mitt Romney was a rising rock star in the moderate wing, if you can believe that. There was a moderate wing of the Republican Party that, back then. And uh, Mitt Romney was a, a rising star, and uh, he was going to test the waters in this election, and he was hoping he could get within, you know, five to ten points of, of Teddy Kennedy. Well, he didn't get anywhere close to five to ten points, and that was clear in the days before the campaign ended that he was going to get absolutely curb stomped, smashed by Senator Kennedy. Um, so I did a monologue, a world according to Chuck, and I went for quite a long time, and I called up the, the speech that Mitt Romney uh, never gave. And so, as you know, I was very much a, a conservative, a conservative a talk show host. I was very much, I would say, an ideological conservative. I guess I, I did the kind of uh, work back then that would make uh, Danielle Smith, who I guess was a kid at the time, and, and Pierre Polyeva, it would, it would make him cry. Um, and I made a great man cry. And that great man is uh, George Romney. Yeah, George Romney was the former president of a car company former CEO. Uh, George Romney was the former governor of Michigan, and George Romney could have beaten Richard Nixon and changed history. But uh, George Romney uh, made a great mistake. Uh, he visited Vietnam, and he used the word brainwashed. He said that uh, he had been brainwashed by the U.S. military. Wrong word to use. And Richard Nixon absolutely annihilated him the Richard Nixon machine annihilated their prime, the prime contender, uh, the, the guy who could have defeated uh, Richard Nixon. He had all, all the tools. In any case, uh, George Romney uh, is the father of, of Mitt Romney. So years later, George Romney happened to be watching my TV show, my Emmy award-winning TV show. And I'm convinced that this monologue I did was uh, one of the reasons that I was um, given the enemy because I was a, I was a virtual unknown and uh, in that part of the world, and I was up against a lot of uh, institutions, and I was the darkest of the dark horses, and um, and I won, and I'm convinced that uh, this was one of the reasons. And George Romney called me, and he spent a great deal of time with me on the phone. He didn't call me to condemn me for criticizing his son. It was uh, the opposite. Mm. George Romney told me that uh, you did give uh, the speech that Mitt Romney uh, never did, and uh, he said that uh, someday uh, he thinks that Mitt Romney will give a speech at least half as good as the one I gave and probably win a governor's race or have a good chance of being governor and maybe even someday the president. And uh, he was very emotional and I was very emotional. Uh, I had a ton of respect for, for George Romney and I've gotten a lot of calls from a lot of interesting people uh, over the years from, from all over the world. Uh, that one really stands out to me. It was a, a heartfelt um, conversation about, about a father uh, who loves his country, uh, loves his son. Yes, he's a conservative. I was very much a conservative um, who, who felt that his son hadn't been as strong as this particular talk show host at espousing conservative values. Charles Adler, it's our favorite half hour of the week, man. Uh, will we get to hang out with you, kick it off, and just keep it real. Uh, thanks for making time for us, and we'll talk to you again in a week. Thanks for putting a smile on my face and giving me a reason to get out of bed on a Monday and, and talk to my favorite people. You got it. You can find Charles Adler online. Find him on X at Charles Adler. Uh, we are getting some chatter. Uh, you know, some people were uh, tuning in or following storylines in the Golden Globes. And uh, a shout-out to Sharon, who says, well, what about Lily Gladstone winning? That was a big oh, win yeah. last night. Uh, mm -hmm. Best performance by a female actor uh, for her role in uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, which I've not seen. Uh, that's the Again, Martin Scorsese that's, that's pick. that's another one I saw. You can the, see uh, her uh, yeah, accepting her, her Golden Globe here and, and, and sharing what it means uh, for her, uh, as, as uh, a First Nations woman from the Blackfeet Nation in Montana, 
you know, she talked about basically, she says back in the day, she says my people, you know, they would, they would record lines and films like way back in the day, they'd record people speaking English and then they'd just play it back backwards mm-hmm. to reflect indigenous dialect yeah. for her to get up there yesterday, last, you know, yesterday evening in, in Hollywood, if you're listening to this on Monday, uh, you know, at the Golden Globes and, and to be able to say a few words uh, in her dialect to thank um, the people that have influenced her career. That was a, a huge win. And, and like she said, an historic win. Yeah. And I thought a veteran move on her part, making her acceptance speech, she says, uh, basically looks right into the camera. You know, the directors in the control room. She says, uh, I hope I don't get played off stage because there's some things <laughs> I got to say. She says, yeah. this is an historic win. Uh, and she was right. So that was obviously uh, a big one. And I'm, she I'm was, grateful Sharon pointed it out. She was incredible in that movie. One thing I liked about that movie and Scorsese, obviously amazing. He makes a little cameo at the end, but a lot of the scenes, like they're using the actual dialect and stuff, but sometimes they don't throw captions up. Uh, you just kind of know from the, the, like the emotion in the scene, yeah. you can kind of tell what Leo and her are talking about or what they might be talking about. But I like how he left a little mystery there. It, it was a great movie. Did and it's hard know, to watch, though. Three and a half, almost four hours. But right? if you get through it, it's really good. Did you think it was interesting or not interesting that there were virtually no political statements there were no statements on international affairs. Yeah. There was really nothing. Nobody was wearing any that I could tell any any sort of ribbons no. or lapel pins mm-hmm. or any. You know what I mean? It like was usually there's, down. usually there's kind of a, a moment along those lines at an awards show, especially right now, considering how supercharged everything is. Yeah. But uh, virtually nothing at the Golden Globes. I, I don't know. Yeah. There's usually some kind of underlying political act, social activism, something going on, you know, Me Too or yeah. or whatever but this year kind of, yeah it was kind of and maybe that's another thing that i think joe coy kind of kind of hurt him a bit there was no big theme kind of to the night and also i don't know if you knew but there's a lot of football on last night too so a lot of people were watching the teams uh get into the playoffs last night so we're going to uh get our eye on alberta business in just a moment the first monday of every month the alberta chambers of commerce makes its ceo president available shauna feth and we're going to get into a couple stories that i know are making news right now but are going to become more and more significant in the days and weeks to come that in just a second this episode of real talk is happening with the support of eden landscaping that wants to remind you that despite the fact that you know this time of year nobody's really honestly thinking about backyard barbecues and you know getting the wading pool out for the kids and the puppies and running through the sprinkler i mean it's just not what happens in january if you want that to be your reality in the summer of 2024 you're going to want to reach out to them right now get that planning started the design stage is one of the areas where Eden and the team brilliance shines through. We can say that from firsthand experience. You've got your vision. Maybe you have some pages ripped out of a landscaping magazine or you've got your own custom Pinterest board. The first conversation with Eden's great because you're sharing your vision and then they're starting to talk to you about how that could manifest itself. They've got their own ideas on how they can work with your budget and bring your yard to life. It all starts with a visit to landscapeedmonton.ca. That's where you will find Eden Landscaping. Our friends at Friesen Brothers in 16 different locations across the province of Alberta want to let you know that this week, Friesen Brothers customers can mix and match a whole bunch of items throughout the store with a 2 for $10 promotion. Whether it's Alberta chicken breast or caracata oranges, in-store baked muffins, blueberries, sausages, cheese, whatever, you name it, all 2 for $10 products are marked with a special sign or sticker so it's really easy to find them. You can find more information on the weekly flyer in store or at Friesen.com. And we mentioned our official presenting sponsor of Real Talk on the Mixler live streaming audio app. That's California Closets. They know this time of year, a lot of people are getting serious about their plan to get organized. You made the resolution. You made the plan. Now, what are you planning on doing about it? Uh, You can start with a visit to CaliforniaClosets.ca. That's where you can request a free design consultation. That's step number one. You work with their team, whether it's a home office that could use a Murphy bed, whether it's a laundry room that desperately needs an organizer's touch. It could be a bedroom. It could be your primary bedroom's closet or even your garage. Nobody does custom closets and storage solutions like California Closets. Visit them online today. 
Sean F.F. is the president and CEO of Alberta Chambers of Commerce on the first Monday of every month. She's got her eye on Alberta business. Uh, joining us remotely this morning, it's nice to see your face again. Thanks for making time for us. Were you up late last night watching the Golden Globes? Is that something that you care about, uh, Hollywood Awards shows? No, unfortunately, I wasn't. I hear it was a fantastic event, though. <laughs> yeah, it, it was. It was all right. I'm giving it like a six out of ten. Johnny, what did you give it out of ten? I said five and yeah, a half. Yeah, I, six I out give of it 10. about a six and a half. Like moderate, moderately entertaining. Uh, Shauna, when we talk to you, we're getting down to business, and I have to touch on something that Alberta's premier has been musing about. Danielle Smith, uh, when asked uh, in particular by Rick Bell, I'll give him the credit from the Calgary Sun, whether or not the Alberta government would consider changing liquor retail regulations, the premier says. Maybe it's something we should look at. Maybe convenience stores, as an example, grocery stores, gas stations, could be others that may be interested. Maybe they should be permitted to sell liquor. Not currently, obviously, allowed with the way that the regulations work. What is something like this, the musing from a politician, what does that do to a business community? Yeah, well, I think um, part of this comes from the Ontario's announcement that they're going to do this in, in Ontario starting in 2026. Um, I think we're a very different model than Ontario because obviously in Ontario, the LCBO uh, controls um, and distributes liquor in the province for the most part. There's not a lot of independent retailers where in Alberta, we of course are privatized and we have uh, many more private retailers and have a lot of businesses that will be really paying attention to this conversation. So this was December 14th. Like you said, the Ontario government announces that sales of beer, wine, cider, ready-to-drink cocktails, which is like, that's what everybody's buying these days, it seems. Brilliant. Uh, allowed in convenience stores, grocery stores by 2026. This means 8,500 new stores where the products can be purchased. Um, hours of sales won't change. Ontario's system, though, dominated by LCBO, as anybody knows who's ever been out there or who's lived out there, or the consortium, the beer store, to date, Quebec, meantime, the first province to allow beer and limited wine sales in supermarkets and convenience stores. I'm kind of of two thoughts on this, to be honest with you, Sean. A part of me thinks if I own a liquor store and I've signed a longer term lease in a strip mall, hypothetically, uh, because I want to be next to a convenience store because it seems to make sense. You know, people will come pick up their beer with me and then they'll go pick up their Doritos next door. And now all of a sudden the convenience store can drop its prices and sell the same product that I sell. Then I feel like that's not been a decision that's been made in, in good faith. At the same time, as somebody who observes and supports a free market, I think, well, maybe you just sort of lessen regulations, uh, cut red tape. It's kind of what Alberta likes to be known for across the country and let the market decide. Uh, when it comes to a chamber of Alberta Chambers of Commerce advocating for thousands and thousands of businesses, how are you able to sort of define a position on that? There's a lot of things you got to consider. Absolutely. And I think first and foremost, business needs to be consulted. Our, our businesses need to be asked how they're going to be impacted because to your point, Ryan, um, location, location, location. Many of these liquor stores are located beside potentially what would be the competition uh, if this goes forward. So I, I first and foremost would just urge the province to really think about uh, consulting with our businesses that are impacted and having those conversations because obviously they've been making long-term investment decisions based on the current regulatory environment and you know when that changes it greatly impacts uh, the outcomes and their ability to continue to be a prosperous business going forward. January 18th, uh, 10 days from now, uh, if people are listening to this on Monday, is uh, looming large. I know for a lot of businesses that are trying to figure out how on earth they're going to repay these SIBA loans. To remind people, we're talking about the Canadian Emergency Business Account. This is uh, the $40,000, the initial one, the loan that was made available to businesses that were trying to keep their heads above water through the pandemic. January 18th is that repayment deadline. And a lot of business owners, I think, uh, are realizing that that's an obligation they're not going to be able to meet. Can you take us into this story? What do business owners need to know right now? Yeah, so um, we we pulled our Alberta business community just prior to Christmas. So we've been doing a bunch of advocacy on this file simply because we're hearing anecdotally of a lot of businesses that are closing their doors. Uh, we just heard about another one in a small rural town that was quite successful that decided as of January 1st that they're done because they can't repay this loan. 
So prior to Christmas, we did write to Minister Freeland again uh, in conjunction with several of our other territorial chamber uh, uh, collaborators and let them know that, you know, this is definitely still an issue. We did a hot button survey uh, through our Alberta Perspectives research uh, that shows that 41% in Alberta, so we had over 500 respondents and 41% of those say that they are not going to be able to repay by the deadline. So we know this is an incredibly um, impactful position right now for a lot of businesses to be in because we don't know after January 18th what the landscape is going to look like for the province if we're not able to do something to extend these deadlines. And it's it's critical. We're in the, the final days and we've been advocating for for the last year, over the last year, to to see these deadlines moved out and moved a little bit farther into the the horizon. Uh, you know, realistically, it's not all businesses. Obviously, some have been able to repay it and have not had any challenges. Um, but it's very industry specific too that there are several industries that have been impacted much harder and have had a much tougher time recovering and those are the ones that we're really worried about can, can we talk about what those are like in particular the specific industries are, are, are there details you can share with us that people might find interesting yeah for sure the hospitality accommodation travel tourism all of the ones that were so gravely impacted during COVID in terms of being able to even you know a lot of a lot of businesses were able to pivot and look at different business models you know selling online those types of things um those industries were just had nowhere to go and had no way to recoup costs uh in terms of their operations so those would be some right off the top of my head that I know have been impacted much more heavily than others. And, and to state the obvious here, the cost of borrowing uh, has skyrocketed. It doesn't matter the context of what you're talking about. Borrowing costs are up um, in, in many instances, triple, quadruple what they would have been around the time that people would have taken uh, this assistance, accepted or applied for this assistance in the first place. What do you know about people that have been looking to finance this obligation? How many are able to find the finance? and how many are still left unsure of what they're going to do moving forward? Again, you know, uh, there's many as high as, like I said, 41% saying that they're not going to, going to be able to refinance. So that's a significant number uh, of businesses that have not been able to find the refinancing. Um, we're also hearing about, you know, it was supposed to be refinanced at 5% and we're hearing stories of businesses that um, that, that interest rate is much higher to your point. Uh, so it's it's really a matter of how do we how do we support our our businesses and how can we you know take a look at from a financial institution perspective how how can we find alternative or better ways to ensure that we can make sure these businesses stay viable and are able to to borrow the money that they need to repay this loan and unfortunately like I said this it, it's ten days away really and, yeah and so those businesses that are struggling are. You know, 10 days is not a long time to try and find refinancing Yeah, if they're struggling to find it at this point. No kidding. So you basically have an emergency meeting uh, coming up this week with Alberta's finance minister. Yeah. Would you, without without showing us all your cards, can you can you <laughs> or, or maybe uh, in addition to what you've already shared with us, can you tell us what you'll be saying directly to Minister Horner when you sit down? Yeah, so there's there's a couple of things we need to talk to him about. So there was the SIBA loan, but there was also the RRF loan, which was the Regional Relief and Recovery Fund loan. Those ones were um, distributed through Community Futures federally, and um, they're not being recognized the same way that the SIBA loans are. So um, that's one of the things we'll be talking about in terms of, you know, how can we get our financial institutions to recognize those equally is one of the things. The other thing is, again, the, the 5% refinancing uh, interest amount, which is really, really important. And then just, you know, speak with the minister about is there anything provincially that could be done to potentially support these businesses? And I say that, you know, completely acknowledging that this is a federal liability, not a provincial one. Um, but it doesn't hurt to have the conversation and see if there aren't ways provincially that we can be looking at supporting some of these highly impacted businesses. What's one thing that the Alberta government couldn't do? Like you said, I mean, this is this is for the most part a conversation uh, directed toward the federal government, federal finance minister. What's one thing you'd like to see Ottawa do here that you think would be significant? I mean, extending the deadlines, probably one, making more financing available at 5% would be another. But is there something we haven't touched on that you think Ottawa 
law could employ uh, to really send a clear message to business owners that the government's got their back, at least through this rocky bit? Yeah, I mean, obviously extension. So the the the, the big piece here is um, so that they've extended the deadline to repay to the end of 2024 to December 31st, 2024. What they've done, though, is they've put this January 18th deadline for the recoverable portion. So that would have been the ten thousand um, dollars that was not would not have to be paid back. And so really, that's the one that we need to, to push the goalpost on is just make sure that businesses have the longer runway and that they also um, do not have to repay that forgivable portion. And of course, we want to see that extended to, you know, I'd love to see another year to January 18th of 2025 um, so that businesses can get the financing they need or look at the things that they need to do in order to ensure that they still receive that forgivable portion, which is the critical piece to all of this. Uh, Sean, I'm looking forward to a, just under a couple of weeks from now. You're going to be joining me in studio. We'll get the president as well of Northwest College, Carolyn Campbell, and an industry guest in here. Uh, we're going to sit down, and I know that the audience is going to love this because we're going to be talking about developing a comprehensive talent development strategy for the province. Can, can you give us one teaser? Can you give us one thing that, that we're going to touch on? Not too many details. I know that we'll dig into it <laughs> on January 19th, but maybe why is it so important to develop a talent development strategy for people that might not have that on their radar. Yeah. And I think we've spoken about this before on previous shows, but um, in Alberta, we know we have a a gap, a skills gap um, in terms of the talent that we need for the development that's going on and for how, how our economy is uh, moving so quickly forward. So um, the Alberta Chambers of Commerce and the Alberta Post-Secondary Network, which represents the the 27 plus post-secondaries in the province, We've been um, partnering and collaborating on this project, the Talent Development Task Force, for almost two years now with this idea of, to your point, just a really comprehensive strategy for how are we graduating the best talent and how are we keeping them in the province? How are we providing them with opportunities for work integrated learning uh, so that we have when those students graduate after four years or two years or whatever the case may be, they've had they've had the experience, the real life experience, and they've gained some of those skills that they're going to need to just hit the ground running. So really excited to have Carolyn join me. Uh, she is my co-chair on the task force. Uh, and we're just going to talk about some of those strategies, some of the fantastic things that we're doing here in Alberta that, um, you know, we don't see being done in other jurisdictions, which is really exciting uh, and how, you know, progressive we're being around the talent file in the province and how collaborative we're being in terms of different organizations working together to ensure that we have the talent that we need for those positions going forward. Great stuff. If people want to learn more about, you know, where members matter and benefits count, uh, what drives the Alberta Chambers of Commerce and its top priorities, they can visit online abchamber.ca or just find the link in the show notes on YouTube or on the podcast. We'll see you January 19th. Looking forward to it, Ryan. Thank yep. you very much. Me as well. That's Shauna Feth, the president and CEO of the Alberta Chambers of Commerce. I, I, I saw a comment here in the live chat, and I, I just so disagree with it that I have to touch on it. Um, and I don't know if Curtis is trying to just light a fire under us. What's but he, that? Oh, well, about Curtis the businesses? Basically, yeah. He basically <laughs> says, I'm sorry, but if you can't pay your SIBA loan by now, uh, you shouldn't be in business anyway, Whoa. says Curtis. Says, sorry, not sorry. He goes on to say a lot of terrible restaurants stayed open because of COVID help. Um, I don't think that that's true at all. And, and, and also, let me just say that while some businesses may have extended their viability for a short period of time if 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 you're a a quote-unquote terrible business a forty thousand dollar loan is not going to extend you for long unless it's just you uh but that's not a position that an elected official can take you can't essentially you know the messaging to the public have it be that you're on your own right sink or swim uh and uh too bad so sad if you go out of business in part because of health regulations that had business implications that health officials and elected officials really had no other choice but to implement. And so you had restaurants as an example. Shauna there says that that's one of the industries hit hardest. I think that people could have guessed that one. Uh, and there would be others as well. But restaurants that that 
couldn't open, that couldn't operate. And when they could open their doors, they couldn't fill their locations and they had to pivot. And a lot of them had to, to, to build new websites to take online orders. They had to figure out deliveries or sign up for the delivery apps. We all know that uh, for a lot of the restaurants that are using apps like Skip the Dishes or Uber Eats or DoorDash or whatever, that, that those apps, those online uh, businesses, those startups are, are not startups anymore, but they're obviously taking their share. A lot of people would say it's an unfair share uh, and restaurants are doing everything they can just to scrape by on profit margins that are already pretty meager, all things considered. So can you imagine if the federal finance minister were simply to say, if you can't pay back your loan by now, you have no business being in business. I mean, just imagine what that would even do to unemployment numbers. Just imagine what that would do to restaurants, uh, to, to hospitality operators, whether hotels, B&Bs, whatever the case may be. They're all of a sudden saying we're not financially viable anymore. We're insolvent. And so we're walking out on our lease. We're doing the midnight move out. We're leaving. Imagine what that does to vacancy rates that are already pooched. I mean, it's just it's just not a position that sort of unsympathetic hard-nosed, kind of cold-blooded position to take that if you can't pay back your COVID loan by now, uh, you deserve to be out of business or you don't deserve to be in business in the first place. That's just not a position <laughs> that an elected official can take. And it's kind of an opinion, too. I think terrible restaurants, if they're terrible, fall to the wayside anyways, regardless if they get influx of cash. So competitive. But also the, the horribly sad thing here is, like, if you started a business in the three years before COVID, you know, like, when you start a business, it takes a few years to even make for a lot of them, to be yeah. in the green, right, yeah. or the red, or whatever they say, and uh, the black. So, so some of these businesses, they're still trying to get back. They're still going to have a few years before they start making money again. They're still hanging on by a thread. So yeah, yeah. Uh, Curtis says rents would come down if vacancy rates go up. He's trying to find the silver lining. Uh, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just saying that you got it. You got to. You also got to consider who butters your bread, and you know, and as elected officials and politicians, if you want to start, you know, like basically pissing off the business community, pissing off people that have made private investment and, and, and taken risks, uh, then you got to start worrying again about your own political survival, which I guess in a way is kind of an ongoing theme for this show and what drives a lot of our conversation forward. Uh, anyway, I see that Curtis is having a good laugh in the live chat, so maybe he was just trying to light a fire under me, but but we appreciate it and we appreciate all of you that are driving these conversations uh, forward. Uh, I wanted to, before we get to uh, another story that's kind of like warmed our hearts and made us pretty happy around here, it was shared by Justin. It's coming up in Positive Reflections. I wanted to also mention uh, that this episode is supported by our friends at Complete Care Restoration. We were sharing the good news story uh, when we first found out about it just a short time ago about the recycling initiatives that they've undertaken. You know, for a lot of these disaster restoration companies that are operating across the country, there is zero recycling happening. And, and I guess you might sort of go, well, I guess I get why, you know, the, walk into these businesses or these homes that have experienced a, a really terrible flood or, or, you know, have been burned down. I mean, obviously wildfire is a reality. You know, fire at a business or a home is, for a lot of people, the worst thing they'll experience in their lifetime. And then you just think the insulation and the burned out wood and the melted flooring and those Arbright countertops and everything, you know, those appliances are all messed up and toxic. And, well, it just all goes to the landfill, right? Not with Complete Care Restoration. They are the only disaster restoration company in the province of Alberta that's recycling more than 70% of materials from the sites they work on. That's an average of 71%. Really, really unprecedented. It's just one of the reasons why we're so proud to partner with them. If, heaven forbid, if disaster ever strikes in your life, the number one call, make it to Complete Care Restoration. You'll find them under the Sponsors tab on our website. And we're talking a lot this time of year for obvious reasons about new opportunities, about people that are taking on new challenges. You see a job market out there that's ready for you and you wanna be ready to step up to the plate. Your first step at AthabascaU.ca. You can get your online experience started there. Open up your options with Canada's Open University. There's a lot of advantages to studying at AU. 
And the numbers tell the tale of the tape. You know, more than 94% of AU alumni say they're satisfied with the quality of their AU education. More than 94%, more than 92% of them say that they're in a job related to their field of study. There aren't a lot of post-secondaries that can quote those numbers. You can find Athabasca University online today at AthabascaU.ca. I uh, wanted to mention a couple of uh, interviews that we have coming up this week, and uh, tomorrow's going to be a big day. We'll be checking in with a dear friend of the show, Sapria Devetti, is going to be back with us. That's coming up on Tuesday's episode, and coming up on Wednesday, this is a story that's been making news uh, across the country. You and I haven't talked about it a lot uh, off-air, uh, Johnny, but these encampments, these homeless encampments that are being cleared by yeah. Edmonton police, uh, seven encampments have been cleared uh, to this point. They say that about 78 people, let's say 80 people, have been displaced here. And there have been some changes to the city of Edmonton's policy here as a court challenge looms. This is the Center for Peace and Justice and Human Rights that's challenging the city of Edmonton and its protocol here. Um, I think it's fair to say, and we talked about this on the show last week, that what's happening is unsustainable. The optics, though, of this, of clearing these encampments is very difficult right now. This time of year, the wind chill is horrific. Course, yeah. the, the temperatures are, are absolutely frigid. It's going to get we're really talking bad about this week. Matters yeah. of, of life and death. Uh, but we also recognize that what's happening in these encampments is not a long-term sustainable strategy either. So we get a lot of people that are talking here, political leaders, uh, social service uh, executives and others, people working on the front lines that are saying we need to invest more into shelters. We need to create more shelter space. Coming up on Wednesday's show, circle that on your calendar on January 10th, we'll be joined by Edmonton City Councilor Aaron Paquette, who says that it is possible to solve this and he's going to bring to the table what he thinks could be some potential solutions i'm expecting a very good conversation that's coming up on january 10th when counselor aaron paquette joins us in studio nice. that's a tough story to watch man it's, and i know that a lot of the police officers they don't want to be doing it they don't want to be there and for the people whose lives are being impacted mm-hmm. firsthand uh the people that are experiencing homelessness right now you know they're having things like their you know their belongings confiscated and taken away they're yeah. starting again from scratch it's it's really really brutal it's a really tough not to crack because there's always going to be homelessness there's always going to people be people who are houseless right mm. but uh, at the same time we're hearing those horror stories about people who say hey you know f- females especially i've been to shelters i've tried to stay there i i don't feel safe i've been assaulted so i come out here and i live on the street and then people find my place and it's good and then they start building around me and then there's 20 and 30 of us and then they tear everything down and imagine that like w- w- when you spend your life, you know, finding like a warm jacket, two good pairs of socks, you know, a, a, a few raincoats, and then it's all gone. And it's like your life is reset. You have to start all over again, especially this week. I, you know, I don't want to harp on the city, but what a week to do it right ahead of like we could see this cold weather coming. Right. Uh-huh. It's, just, it's really sad. Yeah. Um, I want to circle back on the, the one thing we were talking about with Shauna uh, there out of the gates on the Alberta Chambers feature. This lifting the some of the, or let me say amending or changing the regulations around liquor retail yeah. in the province of Alberta, which already sure. has. Um, I think from a from a free market perspective and from a from a consumer choice standpoint, Alberta does it the best in the country mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to liquor stores. But it's you talk to anybody that knows anybody that's lived anywhere in this province that we call home. Um, you, 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 I don't care how good or bad of a golfer you are. You can always swing a club and hit a liquor store. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't matter where you live. Specialty They're, ones, too, in Alberta right? are just out of this world. Like, I don't want to name names, but you know the ones you go in. It's like a shopping mall. So, it's like, yeah, I don't mind. I don't mind the idea of being. I mean, you probably should be able if you've been down in the States. I mean, you know, we've vacationed in Montana. You, mm-hmm. you know, you're buying your groceries. You're in the grocery store. Yeah. And then you go and you stop in the beer and wine aisle. You pick up what you of need. Course. It's very convenient. But also you get these people that have invested in these, you know, huge locations yeah. or the Ma and Pa liquor stores. Going, well, what the hell? Yeah. You know, you're sort of like it's a it's a pretty uh, dramatic or significant change to implement. Sure. Uh, where do you land on it? Well, do I'm a, a dually. So it? like I'm all for it. When I go down to the States and visit family, it's, it, 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 I grew up with it when I was younger. We would go into stores, you know, you'd go into the the 7-Eleven equivalent or whatever down there. And, and it's the same thing. There's cigarettes in there. There's booze in there. I don't see any harm with it, but I do. I I see what you're saying. We've got these specialty stores. I've got one, and 
again, I don't want to name names, but there's one in Windermere right by my house where I'm like, this place is incredible. I can go up, I can fill one of those beer steins, I can go over here. People are so helpful. They have knowledge and stuff like that. And if you take that all away and it was just like, you well, know, I guess like in a they, convenience store or in a supermarket. They'd still be able to do their thing. Of course. They, but- would have, they would have to better advertise what they offer that sets them apart. And that would be it. The, which is the maybe person, the way that things should go. Touch, right? Um, so I guess, you know, ultimately what this comes down to, and when you look at, you know, politicians and what might influence aside from lobbyists, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, that's the cynic <laughs> and the realist in me. Lobbyists are very effective at what they do. But politicians also decide um, policy based on what will play well best with the public. In sure. other words, what will play well best Politically, And do members of the public, do Albertans believe that they are underserved now when it mm. comes to availability of beer, wine, and liquor? I they don't might. know. I don't think so. And uh, like I just spent a year and a half in Kelowna, right? The same thing. You go into the supermarkets, there's wine there. And there's not just wine there in an aisle. There is a person there with knowledge just like these stores that we're talking about in Alberta, who gives that personal touch, who gives you, not samples, but tells you what wines to buy. So, uh, yeah, I don't want to lose those those big stores that I know and love. I, I mean, the cheap ones, the discount ones. What about the, the little ones? What about, ones? like, what about like <laughs> cares, you know, but... Linda's Liquor exactly. in, in, you know, Toefield, Alberta. This exactly. Is, this is a made-up company. Uh, shout out to Toefield. But, uh, you know, someone like Linda's Liquor, mm-hmm. that, you know, that's been operating for, you know, 25 years, and it's a small family I love business. those little ones. You well, go yeah, in, they, they have free they samples. Be, they have, they'd yeah. probably be run out of business. 100%. If the, if the, if, if the big convenience stores are able to sell beer mm-hmm. and wine as well and probably knock down the prices, mm-hmm. right? But at the same same time, I, I, I can't scoff at going into Savon on, or wherever on a Sunday. Freezing, Freezing sorry. Freezing Brothers. Just remember who butters are bread, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm, th- I'm thinking of the people that would adopt it first and like probably, you know, you know. Run to the run to the wall with it, but yeah, yeah. I, I going to the store and Freezing Bros would be somewhere that would probably do it like that. They would have such a personal. Touch well, they've to already it got craft beer would, taps in a exactly. couple of their locations. It would right? ruin it would ruin some of those other stores. So I don't know, but then again, I know I know you. You're a free market guy, so yeah. I, I think you're all for this. Yeah, so Premier says she's all for it. I, I I'm kind of like I, I, I put it this way: on some things, um, I feel like I can be convinced either way. And so I, I feel like on this one, I could hear a compelling argument from somebody and maybe change my mind. What I'm thinking of right now, I mean, number one, this isn't necessarily a determining factor in my opinion, but I would note that I don't think, and, and again, this is a subjective comment, uh, but I don't think Alberta or Albertans are underserved when it comes to availability of beer and wine. Like there, there's liquor stores absolutely everywhere some people might argue there's too many that's again a subjective uh, you know that's sort of you one person certain feels areas that, i think person so. feels differently um but so so i don't feel like this is a pressing issue and number two when it comes to legislation or policy that that sort of defining principle of do no harm mm. i feel like this could do harm to existing operators that to are already struggling that have that have signed leases in good faith that have opened businesses in good faith that have invested hundreds of thousands or even millions of dollars in locations based on a, a, a you know a regulatory framework so to speak uh, based on like this is how it goes mm-hmm. in Alberta this is Alberta is different from Saskatchewan BC or Ontario or elsewhere and and we know what the landscape looks like we've drawn up a business plan here's what we think the next one or two or five or ten years looks like sure you know and then all of a sudden the rug gets pulled out underneath and you find out that the big box retailers and convenience stores are also entering your industry yeah. and and now all of a sudden your competition has tripled um i can understand why people that have made uh, investments in businesses would would feel like what the hell however <laughs> that said uh, did anybody really? I mean, some people did feel sorry for them. I still feel bad for some of these folks, but people that paid hundreds of thousands of dollars for taxi plates yeah. back in the day and then Uber came in and mm-hmm. changed everything. Yeah. Or people that went up and, and invested, you know, tens or hundreds of millions of dollars into big audacious hotels, beautiful hotels, and then found that, you know, Airbnbs and Verbos and, and other uh, short term rental sites were really chipping away at their market share. Mm-hmm. There is always going to be disruption in industry um and maybe this is the same but this disruption is not being driven by the market like uber was or like airbnb was no this disruption is being paved or brought in or introduced by government uh which is as an investor 
or as an entrepreneur, not what you expect. Yeah. With the taxi Uber thing, we we felt like we needed more rides around and we felt like some people were monopolizing it. So I got it. But yeah, yeah I just feel like it, with all the other issues we got going on, you're right. I don't think this is super important. I don't think uh, we have a lack of liquor stores or getting liquor anywhere in the city, especially downtown. Yeah. It seems like every block. Uh, but also I'll say about the premier, every, anytime there's some free market, she's always like, yeah, you know, well, maybe. Well, like she never yeah. says no. Minus, right? I, said so. to, I said to her face, minus the, the renewables moratorium. Yeah, that, that, was the, that was the weird one for a free market evangelist to introduce a moratorium on renewables. That was weird. But uh, I digress. On the, on the chat, uh, this from someone just made my stomach turn. Where's the comment here? Uh, it was Tom who made my stomach clench. He says beer at gas stations uh, will be the same quality as gas station sushi. <laughs> that from Tom. Tom, oh. they're, not, they're not brewing the beer at the gas station. Oh. Um, or those, those egg sandwiches oh, that are dude. there for like... I don't know. <laughs> you got to be careful where you buy your sushi. Ken says, do you really want to give uh, the uh, grocery oligopoly in Canada even more leverage in another element of retail business? That from Ken. David says liquor stores will just need to provide a better experience if they want to survive. And, and I think David hits the nail on the head like you described. Mm. You, know, you have the, the in-house sommelier there. You have the yeah. beer expert that can talk to you about what sets that craft brewer apart from sure. this one or what's you know anyway um you can let us know what you think um ken goes on to say we don't even have a free market in canada this is our, our competition laws are toothless he says lobbyists own politicians uh, who make those laws of course be careful what you wish for when having less competition and just a few large players yeah can anybody say Mobile phones, Ooh. right? Can anybody say mobile phones? And I don't think this is exciting people who want like a personal touch in in a supermarket to, like you said, a sommelier. I think this is people who like just want to get a six pack when they're getting totally their groceries. Absolutely, That's it, right? Like absolutely, yeah. all kinds of customers. And you would think that you know the, the free market would decide who will sink and who will swim. Mm -hmm. There we are talking about that again. But uh, yeah, I don't know. This is a story. Obviously, we'll stay on. It's a it's a developing story. There are rumblings that apparently uh, Alberta's Mister Nally was a little bit ticked off that Alberta wasn't first to the plate on this. I always want to be first. Every province wants to be first. Uh, and of course, it's a good look. But if you have a thought on this, you want to send it to us. You do so to talk at ryanjesperson.com that's exactly what justin did with the submission for the wrap to today's show this is a tradition for us you know the first episode of every week presented by our good friends at kubi renewable energy free solar coats available at kubienergy.ca we ask you to sort of shun the negativity we put it to the side as we kick off the week on the right foot these are the stories that have made us happy, that have restored our faith in humanity. And, and thanks to Justin and his wife who passed this along, uh, we've learned about Oyen. Oyen is a ginger cat uh, that is living among capybaras in their enclosure at Zoo Nagara. This is a, an absolutely amazing story. This is uh, you know halfway around the world, of course. But Zoo Nagara uh, is uh, where this tabby cat, who we believe was uh, in Malaysia, by the way, uh, this this tabby cat was orphaned, Johnny. This is the story. This is where they believe it started. And the cat was not introduced officially to the capybara enclosure, but it found its way in as a kitten. And these capybaras <laughs> adopted it. And it's been living among them. And the experts at the zoo say that the cat, Oyen, has taken on the characteristics, <laughs> the behavior of the capybaras. He's eating with them. He thinks it is. A capybara. Uh, they don't know. It's never actually said the words. Uh, but this is a story of integration. This is a story of friendship. The cat capybara friendship out of Kuala Lumpur at Zoo Nagara. And of course, it's turned into a big visitor draw. If you're watching on YouTube, you saw uh, Oyen's got his own custom signage at the zoo. And this is something that they're really leaning into. I say shout out to the zookeepers here. They could have found a way to get Oyen out of there. Yeah, like he's a pest or something, but I like this. I love this story. So Oyen, whether Oyen knows or not that he is not, in fact, a capybara. I don't know if there's mirrors in that enclosure <laughs> or not. Shout out to the capybaras who saw an opportunity to make a new friend and did exactly that. A story of coexistence, peace, and harmony kicking us off through this week of the show and that of course courtesy of Justin thanks so much for your submission you can send us your positive reflection it could be something out of a zoo out of the great wild or it could be something that happened in your own personal life maybe a random act of kindness somebody paid something forward maybe you did it yourself talk at ryanjesperson.com just put positive reflections 
in the subject line. And of course, it's presented by our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy at kubienergy.ca. Coming up on Tuesday's show, we'll check in with Supriya Devetti. She says life's still not safe for female politicians in Canada. She'll make her argument here. And then Mo Amir, a friend and host of This Is Van Color, joins us from the West Coast. It's a jam-packed week on Real Talk. We're thrilled to have you here with us. Thanks for making this episode part of your day. We'll talk to you soon. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer Josh Dunford, Technical Producer John Hicks, General Manager Katie Cook Chivers, Account Coordinator Lawrence Gerlego, Human Resources Lena Shepherd, Website Design Mike Johnston, Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Supriya Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Ann Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola. Catherine O'Neill and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Metis settlements and the Metis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.